Good evening, and welcome to the Heritage of Faith Conversations radio program, sponsored by Heritage Baptist Church in New York City, a church that is committed to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ in an atmosphere of love. Please join us this hour as Pastor Matthew Recker opens the Word of God and then brings others, including you, into the conversation. Tonight, we'll seek to have a dialogue that will glorify God and will show how the Bible is relevant to everyday life. Our desire is to lead people to salvation in Christ and encourage believers in their spiritual growth. Join us and build up your own heritage of faith. Welcome and thank you for joining us for another episode of the Heritage of Faith Conversations radio program hosted by Pastor Matthew Recker. My name is Micah and I'm the Ministry Assistant at Heritage. And tonight we have a very special program for you and we have a feeling that will speak directly into your life. So keep listening. And if you would like to join in the conversation tonight or if you have questions or need someone to pray with, please give us a call. Our studio phone number is 929-333-3739. Pastor Matt, today was an exciting day for us, wasn't it? Absolutely, and time goes fast. It seems like we just had our 25th anniversary. It does, yeah. And last year, we met as a whole group in a a hotel conference center, but now we're back in our regular place Mm -hmm. at PS3 and 490 Hudson Street in the heart of Manhattan, Greenwich Village, and it was wonderful. For our 26th anniversary, we had a great fellowship. We had great preaching with our guest who will be here tonight, Dr. Jim Tillotson, and our listeners will meet him in just a moment. But but 26 years, time has gone fast. <laughs> has it? Yeah, because I remember when I started, as I told the church this morning, when I, when I, we started Heritage 26 years ago, I, I told the church, by the grace of God, I'll give 30 years. Okay. of my ministry life to to New York City. But you and now decided 26 tonight. of those 30 years, are, it's like only four left, man. So I, so I think that you should double it tonight. I think you uh, should okay. make it 52. Yeah, well, 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 we'll try, we'll try. But we do invite our listeners to our church. We have a beautiful church body, people from all over the city, people from all over the world, people from many diverse backgrounds, mm-hmm. and everyone is welcome at Heritage Baptist Church. Yeah. And we are a stable church. We have some really beautiful Christian people, mm-hmm. and we invite people to come on Sunday morning. We have a Bible study hour at 10 a.m., the service at 11 a.m. We meet at 490 Hudson Street, take the number one train to Christopher Street, Sheridan Square. You could take the PATH train right there to the Christopher Street stop, so we're accessible from from New Jersey, as well as from around the city. You could also go to West 4th Street, walk over from West 4th Street. Yeah. Not a, not a bad really walk. Yep. Yeah, especially with the weather nice. Come on out. Visit us. Get, get, get back into the church, you know? Yeah. So we're so glad tonight to have with us Dr. Jim Tillotson, who now serves as the president of Faith Baptist Bible College in the, in the metropolis of Ankeny, Iowa. And it is a beautiful place, a beautiful Bible college. I've been also invited to speak there, Dr. Jim, with you and, and your wonderful staff at Faith Baptist Bible College. Before that, you served at Meadowlands Baptist Church in Edmonton, Canada, for 18 years and saw a church grow from 10 to over 600 people. So many people saved. So God is using you through these years now at Faith Baptist Bible College. So welcome to our program tonight. Thank you so much. It's a real privilege to be here. Yeah, and tell us a little bit about Faith Baptist Bible College and, and tell our listeners if maybe they're looking for a good Christian education for their, for their young people tonight. Absolutely. So Faith is located, Ankeny is a suburb of Des Moines, the capital of Iowa. Uh, it's a lot smaller than New York City. Yeah. And uh, we are specialized in ministry. Uh, we also do education and we also do business. And so we're fully credited. 
And uh, we also, if you are interested in our seminary, you can take all of our seminary classes online. And so we also have a lot of other classes you can take online, uh, which is really convenient for a lot of people who maybe don't want to move or don't want to leave the area. But you can take a lot of our undergrad classes online, and it really helps you learn a lot more about the Bible, something we're very, very passionate about. Yeah, what's the website for people they can look up? Uh, faith.edu, F-A-I-T-H dot E-D-U. Wow, that's, you got a good website, faith.edu. <laughs> exactly. That's big time. Okay. It is. All right. Well, thank you, Dr. Jim. It is such a blessing to have you. And tonight, we're going to do a program at your suggestion on the book of Ruth, which is a beautiful book in the Bible. And our theme tonight is going to be on trusting God when you cannot track him. And we know there are a lot of listeners going through trials and still seeking to trust God, even though they don't know what in the world is going on, right? So that's really what we're going to talk about from the book of Ruth tonight. Exactly. And so, dear friends, if you're going through things and you want us to pray with you, and just that you'll continue trusting God, even though you cannot trace fully what's happening or why God is allowing things in your life, give us a call right now at 917-333-3739. But we're going to read all of Ruth chapter 1. So, Mike, if you could start us off right there in verse 1. Yep, Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Kilian, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. And Malon and Kilian died also, both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have an husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight, and should also bear sons, would you tarry for them till they were grown? Would you stay for them Would you stay for, for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And they lift up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. And when she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. So they two went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. 
I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call you me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. Okay, we're going to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would be with anyone listening tonight. Lord, we all go through things in life that we don't understand. Uh, I'm sure there are people even here tonight who uh, have something that they're going through that makes no sense to them. Uh, They're trying to do the right thing. They're uh, trying to uh, follow you, and yet everything seems to be going wrong. And Lord, so often as we go through those difficult times in life, uh, we come to wrong conclusions. And uh, Lord, as we look at this book of Ruth tonight, I pray that it would encourage us to trust you when we can't track you, when we can't figure out what you're doing. Uh, Lord, so many times in Scripture with Job and Joseph and so many others, you remind us that your ways are not our ways, your thoughts are not our thoughts, and yet you require us in Hebrews 11:6, Lord, if we're going to follow you, then we're going to have to trust you, even when we can't figure out what you're doing. God, help us to do that. And may this passage be a great encouragement for anyone that's going through a difficult time that they can't figure out tonight. God, do the work that only you can do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So the first verse of Ruth connects it to the book of Judges, right? Because it's the time that the Judges ruled. Mm -hmm. And the theme of Judges is there was no king, as the very last verse of the book of Judges says, and every man did that which was right in their own eyes. So it was a time of real spiritual chaos, Mm -hmm. and yet here we find what I call an oasis of grace in the midst of real spiritual anarchy and chaos. So even while living in a time when everybody's doing what they want to do, here we still find godly people doing what God wants them to do. Mm. But still, things are working out difficult for them, but they're seeking to trust God, though they cannot track Him. So here in this book, as well, we find an incredible type of redemption, don't we? Of the ultimate Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Of course, He's our ultimate Savior and Redeemer, but here we find a picture of that. Boaz pictures the Redeemer. Ruth pictures the redeemed sinner. And even Naomi pictures backslidden Israel returning to the Lord. So this story moves from tragedy to triumph, and we even see the lineage of Jesus Christ revealed as Ruth, a Gentile bride, is inserted into the ancestry of the kings of Israel leading to Jesus Christ himself. So a miraculous book Mm. on so many levels. Now, we usually, Micah, we usually do verse by verse, but here we're going to do a flyover, kind of just hit this main theme Mm -hmm. of the book of Ruth and have a conversation with Dr. Jim and you, Micah. So looking forward, really looking forward to Dr. Jim uh, sharing from the book of Ruth tonight. So here we see in chapter one, Dr. Jim, how Naomi loses her husband, her two sons. So it seemed like when Elimelech and Naomi fled the famine in Bethlehem, right, to go to Moab, that they, they had a problem, no bread in Bethlehem. But then when they went to Moab, it seems they had bigger problems. So what problems did they face when running from problems from Bethlehem to Moab? Well, I think they never saw coming that Elimelech would die. I mean, and, okay. and I think they had dreams and plans probably like every family had. First tragedy strikes, and uh, Elimelech dies very unexpectedly, it seems, in the text. But then it seems that the two boys meet two good girls, and they get married, 
and it seems like things are kind of working out, and then all of a sudden both boys die. Do, do you think that it seems the boys got married after Elimelech died, so maybe without male leadership in the home? Do you think that was an embarrassment to Naomi for her two sons to marry Moabite women? Because the Moabite people were not really accepted by the Jewish people. They were often at odds and antagonism, even through the book of Judges. There was antagonism with the people of Moab. I think what's interesting is we don't know if they plan to stay there permanently. Yeah. I mean, in other words, had Elimelech not died, was this a permanent move? It seems like perhaps it was. And then all of a sudden, everything changes. And I think it was uh, an embarrassment. It was especially Mm -hmm. an embarrassment if you have to go back home. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that whether or not it was an embarrassment, it was against God's law. You know, he told the Israelites, do not bring unto you foreign women to marry unto your children. And so, you know, if they had done what, you know, Isaac's parents did, they would have sent somebody back to Bethlehem, back to the land to come back and bring brides, even if they planned to stay in Moab. But Elimelech and Naomi, in my opinion, they were doing what was right in their own eyes, just like everybody else during the time of the judges at this point. And in the law of Moses, there was a warning of what would happen in a time like this when the people abandoned God. And I'll read Deuteronomy 28:15. It says, But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. So Moses goes on in that passage to speak about the curse on the city, the curse on the field, a curse in the basket, a curse of the fruit of the wombs. So the lives of Elimelech and Naomi, they were like a prophetic fulfillment of these curses in Deuteronomy. Their lives were symbolic of the whole nation of Israel at that point. The land wasn't producing, the bread baskets were empty, and the fruit of the womb was dried up. Thankfully, that's just the beginning of the story. Hmm. Do you think, what's the picture as well? Because Bethlehem, of course, means house of bread. Yeah. So it, what's the significance of there being no bread in the house of bread and having to go to Moab? If there was no bread in Bethlehem, what made them think there was going to be bread in Moab? Yeah. Well, I think that, yet there, you know, Bethlehem, the house of bread, and there was no bread. But the names are so, so important in this book of Ruth. And I, I love, you know, the meaning of names because they were not only from Bethlehem, they were from Bethlehem Ephrathah. And Ephrathah means fruitful. fruitful. So it was yeah. not only that there was no bread, there was no fruit. The fruit of the land, the fruit of the wombs. And the name Naomi specifically meant pleasant or good. And she changes her name in this chapter to bitter. Yeah. Okay, so Dr. Jim, Naomi, her husband dies, her two sons marry the two Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah, but then Malon, whose name means sick, and Kilion, whose name means pining. That's what I, my understanding. Yeah. Imagine having two sons named sick and pining. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so, but sick and pining, you know, they got sick and died. And so now Naomi, heartbroken, embarrassed maybe, and, and feeling even guilty out of her disobedience, is going to go back. So what does Naomi decide, Dr. Jim, when she does lose her husband and two sons? And how does she see the situation? Well, I think in their situation, now you have three widows, and there's no safety net back then. Mm, yeah. They have to go back home. There's mm-hmm. no other option. Yeah. And uh, you pastored for a long time. I have too. I've never had someone come in my office mad at the devil. Uh, when everything goes wrong, who does everyone get mad at? Generally, just like Naomi, get mad at God. Mm-hmm. And so she is mad at God. She goes back to Bethlehem. It was a small town then, small town today. And uh, she encourages her daughters. In fact, she's very clear 
uh, when she gets to Bethlehem, who she's blaming. I mean, you don't have to wonder yeah. who, whose fault is, in her mind, whose fault is it that she's lost her husband, whose fault is it she's lost her sons. And she, in fact, encourages her daughters-in-laws, go back to your people and your gods, uh, because her perspective is, my God isn't very good. If my God was good, I'd have a husband. I'd have two boys. And, of course, Ruth says, no, I'm not doing that. I'm going to go with you. Orpah goes back. And uh, it's interesting when you read in the text, uh, she said, the Bible says she stopped speaking to her. You know, if two guys go on a 10-hour trip together, they're best mm. of friends. Mm. If two girls go on a 10-hour trip and don't speak to each other, then one of them's mad. And uh, she gets back to town, and she says, I went out full, and I came home empty. And you go, is that really true? Isn't there really a nice girl standing next to her? Mm. Yeah. But she's not blood. Mm. And what she's saying is, I-, I don't have a family, and this is all God's fault. Yeah, she felt deeply bitter at the Lord, dear friends. And we're often bitter about what we lose in our trials, and we don't see what we have left Mm -hmm. and what God has given us. And so, dear friend, maybe you feel in your soul God is afflicting you, and you're struggling with bitterness. And and this is so graphic when people said, is that Naomi? Mm. And it's not because she was made up and looked pretty. Mm -hmm. It's because bitterness had Mm. just drained Mm -hmm. the joy out of her. She said, don't call me pleasant. Don't call me Naomi. Call me bitter. So, dear friend, maybe you're going through this in your life. We want to encourage you tonight. We want to pray with you. Some of you are bitter at God. Some of you are angry at God. Some of you are blaming God. Call us right now at 929-333. Three seven three nine. Yeah, and Pastor, you know, imagine yourself in this situation. It's obviously a little bit difficult to do, but what Naomi did is she sent her daughters-in-law back to their gods. So what did she think about her god at that point? I yeah. think it's really quite telling. And again, we said that her name, Naomi, means pleasant or sweet, and she changes it to Mara, which means bitter. But the names of the two daughter-in-laws are actually important, too, because the one daughter-in-law was Orpah, and her name means fawn. And we see as she bounds back to her God Mm. and her family, while Ruth, her name means compassionate friend. And Ruth really lived out her identity in this passage, remaining steadfast to her mother-in-law in the moment of crisis. And I agree with Dr. Jim that, you know, Naomi came back and said she was empty, and she wasn't recognizing how how important Ruth was in that Abs- Absolutely, because later on she will, she, uh, she will, uh, Elisa will be said that Ruth was, is better than seven sons, yeah. you know, but right now, can you imagine being Ruth, that she has chosen to go back with a bitter mother-in-law. Now, there's not many <laughs> wives who would do that, you know, mm-hmm. or, or, or daughters-in-law who would stick with a mother-in-law mm-hmm. who is very angry and bitter. So Ruth is showing such grace and such kindness, even though not once, not twice, not even three times, but four times I count in verse 8, in verse 11, turn again, my daughters, verse 12, turn again, my daughters, verse 15, return home, follow Orpah. She, so she told Ruth four times, mm. go home. Mm-hmm. And I think that would have been kind of easier yeah. for Naomi in going back to Bethlehem if she didn't have the Moabite daughter-in-laws mm, with her. So, mm-hmm. But amazing that Ruth stuck with Naomi. So according to Ruth in chapter 1, verse 16, and also 17, Micah, what does Ruth decide? Mm-hmm. And how does, do you think this verse reveals a saving faith in the Lord God of Israel that Ruth has? 
Yeah, I think that Ruth's statement here in verses 16 and 17 is one of the purest expressions of love in the entire Bible. So let me read those verses again, if I can. Verse 16, And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. So here Ruth proves just how serious she took her marriage vows to Naomi's son. You know, till death do us part now applies to Ruth's relationship with Naomi, with Naomi's people, and even with Naomi's God, the God of Israel. So while Naomi's other daughter-in-law, Orpah, went back to her people and her gods, Ruth's commitment and her conversion were the real deal. So I, I believe, Pastor, that only a saving faith in God of the Bible could inspire so much love in this poor, foreign widow with no prospects of a future. Yeah, Dr. Jim? I think it's also interesting how both of them have suffered huge loss. Yeah, Both yeah. have lost mm-hmm. husbands, and yet how Ruth responds and Naomi responds are two yeah. very different responses. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because of Ruth's commitment. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I've, you know, I remember when I moved from Canada to uh, Faith Baptist Bible College, I didn't know anyone at Faith. Wow. It was a huge decision to leave mm-hmm. and uh, to leave a church I'd been pastoring for 18 years. Mm. Uh, they had a goodbye service. We cried out. We couldn't cry anymore, Hmm. and we needed a break. We got down to Yellowstone National Park, and my mom called and said, Jim, where are you? And I said, I'm at Yellowstone National Park. She said, well, you need to head for home. Your sister's dying. Hmm. And uh, I got up at 6 in the morning, hauled a fifth-wheel trailer. About 1 o'clock in the afternoon, my mom called and said, Jim, your sister died. And I sat there thinking, God, I'm trying to do everything that you want me to do. Hmm. I'm as right with you as I've ever been. Mm Like, seriously, I didn't know where I was going to go to church in Iowa yet. I'd left a church that deeply loved me mm. and uh, drove till I couldn't drive anymore. I got to the far side of Iowa, driven 24 hours straight, and pulled into rest, stopped to sleep. Two semis pull on either side, don't turn their engines off. And so I finally get up. Faith panics because I was coming a week before school started. They said, you have to come. And, of course, yeah. if you're the preacher in the family, who do they want to do your sister's funeral? They want me to do my sister's funeral. Mm. And I remember pulling that trailer the last two hours to faith, heat mm. lightning going across the sky, and I got mad. Mm. And who did I get mad at? I got mad at God. Mm. I thought, God, I'm doing everything I know to do what's right, mm. and now you're going to take my sister? Like, this is your great plan? Mm. And I, for a week, I was just like Naomi. I was bitter. And then it was weird because my sister's a believer. She's in heaven. Yeah. And here I am bitter at the God who's taking care of her. Mm. And God had to change my heart. And I think so much what you see here is how we respond when things go wrong. Mm-hmm. And I think our default is to blame God when things go wrong because we think, well, God could have fixed this. God could have changed this. Yeah. And yet often God does allows, and even to this day, I still don't know why that was the time my sister passed away. Mm-hmm. But this is where I have to trust God when I can't figure it out. Mm. And when I get to heaven, there'll be a great explanation. But for right now, I don't know that. But here you have Ruth, who lost her husband, Mm -hmm. Naomi, who lost her husband. Mm -hmm. Naomi's bitter and blaming God. Ruth is trusting God and saying, no, I'm going to go with you, and I'll go back. Yeah, so you you said that in leaving the church where you had been for 18 years, you cried and wept tears, knowing you were leaving people that you loved, who loved you, and you cried till you had no tears left to weep, and then you heard your sister die. That's right. really tough. That right. is really, that's a, it's easy to lose perspective 
in those moments, though, and not see the big picture and just right. just see the darkness right all around. And and that's what makes Ruth's statement here so powerful right. that she could have looked at her economic hardship being mm-hmm. a, a Moabite widow going back to Israel where many people would despise her. Right. Mm-hmm. Or being with a bitter mother in law. But so and, and here's the thing. When you're in those times, you don't you don't see what God's doing. Right. Exactly. I mean, and how. It would have been impossible for Ruth to really understand how God was going to work all this out. Because just think of of what God was going to give her in the end. God was going to give her a godly husband. Mm-hmm. But more than that, God was going to give her a son. But more than that, that son would be the great-grandfather of King David. But right. more than that, it would, Ruth would be in the very line of the Messiah. Mm. But more than that... She's going to have a book in the Bible named after her. I mean, who could have imagined at this moment yeah, that right. all those things would have happened mm-hmm. for this poor, heartbroken girl? But she said to Naomi, your God is going to be my God. And right. that's what we have to hold on to. He is the one we have to hold on to, right? And isn't that the definition of faith? Yeah. Like, I'm type A. If you're a type A, we want to have it figured out. I, I, it's not that I'm not willing to follow God. I want to see where the next step is. But God often says, no, just follow me. Just follow me. And, and, and that's what faith is, is following when I can't see what the next step is. And, and I see fierce loyalty, you know, here yeah. in this statement. Like you said, this is one of the purest statements, Micah. It really is. I mean, where she says, where you go. I mean, it's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. She embraces the people of God. She embraces following God. She embraces her mother-in-law. She embraces the Lord Mm. himself. Your God will be my God, and I'm going to follow him till I die, you know? Fierce loyalty. Yeah, and I think it's it's obviously the rare exception to how human beings respond when they're faced with challenges, and I I love that Dr. Jim was just so transparent, because even a pastor, a pastor of many, many years, who has uh, discipled other people through, right. you know, tough times. When when the rubber meets the road, it is difficult. And there may be moments where you are struggling with not your faith in salvation necessarily, but your faith that God is out for your good. And I, I would just say if there's anybody out there listening, you know, if you feel any shame because you're doubting what God is doing, right. if you're struggling with your faith even in salvation or your faith in the situation, please give us a call. Our phone number is 929 333 Three seven three nine, And absolutely, Micah. And I know there are people who are struggling. And there are also people lonely mm. who don't just need to maybe pick up the phone, yeah. like you said. And they need to do that maybe yeah. right now at 929-333-3739. But they also need to get out and, and come to, to our church or to a church mm-hmm. like ours that is speaking the Word of God. How important is the local church to you, Dr. Jim? You know, you were a pastor for 18 years, and you saw many people saved, and you've probably seen many people in that kind of, in this kind of a situation as well. What, what is your view of the local church in the life of a Christian? Can you just give a shout out to our listeners also? On Absolutely. That? It's critical. You know, the Bible says we have to go to church, and that the church is God's plan, not our plan. Because we need each other. There's 41 and others in the New Testament. Yeah. God never intended us to live a Christian life in isolation. I can't serve one another, love one another, pray for one another, bear one another's burdens. I mean, you can just go on and on and on. And the Bible says this was God's plan because we do need each other. We need God. I mean, if, if there's no one else, God is enough. 
But God's design and plan is for us to live in community with the, with other fellow believers. Yeah, and maybe some listeners have have said, "Well, I've tried that, you know, but those those Christian people, they're they're just hard to get along with." And maybe some are, you know, we we are pretty tough sometimes. But you know what? Even Ruth said, "Thy people will be my people." Right. And she was talking about people that have been at enmity with one another for many years, mm. you know, and still she embraced the people of God. So when we embrace the Lord, dear friends, we need to embrace what God is building, and that's his church. Jesus said, I will build his, my church, and his church is an assembly of people. So we need to embrace that. And I know this pandemic has gotten people on in different places Mm -hmm. and I'm sure there's some people out there you've just got completely out of the habit of going to church Mm -hmm. maybe you're just used to watching church on television watching church on zoom but now is a time the weather's getting warmer there's the 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 virus is not posing a a mortal threat Mm -hmm. it's not dangerous Mm -hmm. you might get a little cold if you get it but you'll get well in just a few days you know but come on out Get back to church. Get back in fellowship. Yeah, and Pastor, I would just say that we I saw pers- firsthand today how important what we're talking about is. There's a brother in our church. I'm not going to mention his name or too many specifics, but um, he, because of his work schedule, because of some health issues, has not been able to join us in person. Now, he has been on Zoom, and he has been with us there, but he came to church today. And he was just so happy to be there because he was surrounded by people that love him. And you could just see the joy in his face. And he was texting me after saying how happy he was that he came. So this is absolutely real because I just witnessed it today. Yeah. There is a difference when you're gathering in person with believers. Yeah. I also think like Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, encouraging one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And I always tell people, uh, periods matter. And so often it says, you know, a lot of people put the period after, let us consider one another to provoke. And that's not, <laughs> that's not the goal of church, it's to provoke to love and to good works. Yeah. And, stir, uh, stir one another up to love. And uh, this was my first Sunday at your church, and I would say, being there this morning, I just witnessed a church family that really loved each other. People loved hanging out. They loved fellowshipping. Uh, I travel almost every weekend. It was probably one of the most genuine, friendly churches I've been in in a long time. And oh, I just, good. thank you, brother. for someone who's been on the outside, and this yeah. is my first Sunday visiting, yeah. uh, I can just encourage anyone listening that you would find a church that really cares about you. Well, you know, today we did have a visitor, and I was able to, sh- we had a delicious meal. Our deacon, Ashuk put on a wonderful meal, and our food ministry team did a fantastic job. And but uh, there was a brother visiting, and I was able to, w- with Dr. Jim, we sat, we talked, and mm-hmm. you could tell how, how just how he just loved the fellowship and yeah. needed that fellowship mm-hmm. and, and just talked because he's, he's been isolated somewhat online and things. So um, it, it, it's so important that we have this human connection mm-hmm. as well as singing. Okay, so we'll, we'll get off of that soapbox, but... Uh, <laughs> But I know there's people listening. I mean, we have a deacon in our church who listened to us for four or five years on the radio. And then I, I said one night, you need to find, a, get into a good Bible-believing church. And he was listening to me as if I was talking directly to him. So if you're not in a good Bible-believing church and you just heard me, I am talking to you. Okay, <laughs> so we see that Ruth in chapter 2 meets Boaz in the field. 
What a divine providential meeting. Not a coincidence, right? And it seems that Ruth comes back with so much grain that Naomi says, something's up here. So as Ruth goes out into those fields to glean, Dr. Jim, what experience does she have in chapter 2? And was it unusual, the experience that she had? I think the whole thing is amazing. The last line in chapter 1 says, and they arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. I don't think that's lucky. Mm. Um, Because they're two widows, uh, in their culture, if you were a good man, you purposely left extra grain in the field if you were a good man to help the poor. Ruth comes to Naomi and says, hey, we need, I need to go out and get some food. Now, you've got to remember who's not from these parts. Ruth is not from these parts. Naomi grew up here. So, and I love what it says in the text, uh, verse 3 of chapter 2, And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging to Boaz. Now, we don't talk like that today, mm-hmm. but it mm-hmm. really has the idea. She just happened to go to yeah. his field, mm-hmm. and he happens to be coming back from Bethlehem. Yeah. He happens to see her in the field. My wife and I kind of disagree on this because because we know that he does marry her. My take on this is he was like, hey, who's the girl over there? I've never seen her in these parts before. Now, it's also very possible that he heard that she was taking care of Naomi and she had a good reputation. And But all of this, how lucky would all of this have to be for this to work out? I think we would all have to agree it's not luck they came at the beginning of barley harvest. Yeah. It's not luck that she happened to go to Boaz's field. Mm-hmm. It's not luck that he happened to come by right then mm-hmm. and notice her. And then he gives her way too much. Now, who's this is her first day, her first field. Who doesn't know that it's mm-hmm. way too much? You know what Ruth thinks? This is Iowa nice. <laughs> these people are so nice. Yeah. And she comes home, but who is from these parts is Naomi. Yeah. And Naomi knows nobody's this nice. Mm-hmm. And she asks her, where were you today? And at this point, what does Boaz mean to Ruth? means nothing to her. Mm-hmm. And she says, well, I was just at a guy's field. His name is Boaz. And Naomi, and this isn't in the text, but I think it's like, Boaz, do you know who Boaz is? No, I don't know who Boaz is. He's our kinsman redeemer. He's single and he's rich. And all of a sudden the lights came on for Boa, for Ruth. You know what? And I think, and, he, and it's the first time in the text where Naomi says, blessed be the name of the Lord. Yeah, things begin to turn around. So why at the end of chapter one, Naomi says, God is not good. Mm. And all of a sudden in this, all of a sudden she immediately says, no, God is good. Mm-hmm. Because now she sees a plan. Mm. Now she's, she's also saying, you just happen to go to Boaz's field. I know that's not lucky. He happened to take an interest in you. He gave you way too much. This isn't normal. And he's a kinsman redeemer. And all of a sudden, it made sense to Naomi. And I think so many of us are just like Naomi. When it starts to make sense to us, now we can get back to trusting God again. Oh, yeah, God is good because I figured it out. But, you know, sometimes we go through things in life we never figure out. Mm. And God's point is, will you trust me if you never figure it out mm. that I am good? You know, and theologically, we know those things. God is good all the time. He has a good plan for my life all the time. Uh, God never leaves me all the time. But when it gets personal, that's when we really struggle. It's easy to question him. It is. Absolutely. So our phone numbers are wide open for you, dear friends, at 929-333-3739. We have loving Bible counselors here who would love to pray with you. If you're struggling with direction and God working and providing for you or even protecting you, because here is a beautiful story of, of provision and protection of, of Ruth out in the field. So, And let, let me just try to explain, too, because gleaning is something we're not familiar with. Yeah. But mm-hmm. the idea of gleaning is, as it says in Deuteronomy, that when they were cutting down the, the harvest 
And in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 19, and if they forget a sheaf in the field, a, mm-hmm. a sheaf of grain, mm-hmm. they were not to go get it, but they were to leave it there, right, for the yep. stranger, for the fatherless, and the widow. Mm-hmm. So this whole idea of gleaning was to pick up the leftover grain that was dropped or left in the corners of the field by mm-hmm. the reapers. Mm-hmm. And this was, this was God's way of dealing in love and kindness, right, with the poor. Yeah. But yet they had to work yeah. as well to bring in bread for their, for their own sustenance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Pastor, you had mentioned uh, about this prior. You had said that it, it's kind of like in modern day when we see people collecting cans and collecting bottles. Yeah. And as I was walking from where I parked tonight to the radio station, I saw a woman. She was doing exactly that. So we, our radio station is right by the bowl of Wall Street, right. which represents financial wealth yeah. and prosperity. And people are lined up down the block to take a picture in front of the bowl. Sure and here's are. this woman literally one block away taking out the cans and the bottles. So I saw in real time today exactly what it what it was like, you know, back then in Bethlehem. And as Dr. Jim said, because of Ruth's faithfulness, we begin to see here in chapter 2 how the Lord was orchestrating everything eventually to benefit her and to benefit Naomi also. The Lord directed Ruth to the right field at the right time so she would meet her future husband, Boaz. And while we read that Ruth meeting her future redeemer in these fields of Bethlehem, um, in, in this chapter 2, some scholars actually believe that these were the very same fields mentioned in Luke chapter 2 when some 1,200 years later there were shepherds abiding in these fields keeping watch over their flock by night. And it was here that the angel of the Lord and the multitude of heavenly hosts announced the arrival of the ultimate Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen. I, I kind of liken this. Imagine, um, and, and by the way, and this is not a, a big thing, but when we put our our recyclable things out, and we do put the empty water bottles and mm-hmm. things in a blue recycle bag, and people do come by our house and go through those bags. So yeah. I don't, I try not to crush those those bottles, and and so that people could could um, recycle them and, yeah. and get the money for them. It's mm-hmm. just a small thing, but there are people who will go through all the bags, and that's how they they survive. But can you imagine somebody collecting cans outside the mayor's office? Yeah. At City Hall. And then imagine the mayor comes out to that person and says, I'd like to invite you into City Hall today and come into our break room and have a cup of coffee, have yeah. a have a soda with my staff mm-hmm. in the break room of, of, with me, the mayor and my staff. Can you imagine? Yeah. And then and then then after you have the break, then the mayor says, I want you to come by every day you know, and have break with us. And then after a few days of that, he says, I would like to hire you as a full-time staff worker. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what mm-hmm. Ruth is experiencing mm-hmm. here on the field of Boaz, mm-hmm. uh, that, that God is just miraculously taking care of her. So let's look at one of the beautiful verses in chapter 2, verse 13, Micah, mm-hmm. where Boaz showed Ruth so much kindness because... Ruth had shown grace, you know. So what ways does Boaz show Ruth such grace in chapter 2 and especially in verse 13? Yeah, well, let me read uh, chapter 2, verse 13. Then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for that thou hast comforted me, and for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like unto one of thine handmaidens. 
And I love that Dr. Jim pointed out that at the end of chapter one, it specifically says it was at the beginning of the barley harvest in the season when the farmers began to reap. And so what I see is that Ruth here is beginning to reap spiritually what she has sowed and her harvest given to her by Boaz includes Boaz's protection, his abundant provision of food and drink and shelter. Mm. And when Ruth asks Boaz why he is showing such kindness to her, a stranger, Boaz answers that it is because of Ruth's kindness to Naomi, Boaz's relative through Elimelech. So he goes even further to give her a blessing from God later in the chapter, the God of Israel, saying that the Lord will repay and reward her for what she has done. And verse 12 quotes Boaz. He says, The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Yeah, and you know what? I have a commentary set at home called Handfuls of Purpose. And it's based on Ruth chapter 2, verse 16, where Boaz told his workers, drop sheaves on purpose on the ground Mm -hmm. and let fall, let fall on purpose some handfuls of of grain on the ground for Ruth. So I have a commentary, handfuls of purpose, in other words, the gleanings of Mm -hmm. God's word, you know. Isn't God's word amazing, you know, Mm -hmm. they take a little... A phrase like that from yeah. Old Testament literature and make a commentary set named after it, you know, handfuls of purpose. But so, Dr. Jim, as we finish up in chapter two here in our flyover tonight, what what would you say summarize for us the change from chapter one to chapter two and how things turned around? I think the change really is all of a sudden Naomi sees what God's doing. And she knows who Boaz is. She understands the kinsman redeemer aspect. And in her mind, that's what makes God good. Because mm-hmm. now she, she understands, I think, that this couldn't all be luck. I think now she's connecting dots and mm-hmm. saying, God must have, there's no way that my daughter-in-law, who's never been from, from this part, just happens to go to a kinsman redeemer's field. Mm-hmm. I think she all of a sudden starts seeing in the past where she felt God wasn't doing anything good for her. Mm-hmm. She understands this can't be luck, that this has to be God doing something amazing. Mm -hmm. And she starts connecting the dots all the way to marriage. And I mean, just like so many women often do with the, you know, everyone gets excited. And the guy's the last one to figure it out that he needs to get married. (laughs) I think think they were pretty pumped about this. It is a huge contrast, right, from chapter one. She Mm -hmm. said, I went out full. The Lord hath brought me empty. The Lord Almighty, God Almighty has a afflicted me, she mm-hmm. says, you know, right. and then and now she's saying, blessed be the name of the Lord. He's not left off his kindness. And that's that wonderful word I love so much. I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but there's like one Hebrew word I really know well. And it's has said that loving kindness of God, you yeah. know, yes. and so she says, God is showing me his loving kindness. And dear friends, the ultimate loving kindness is Jesus Christ. Mm. Yeah. And whatever you're going through tonight, God has shown his loving kindness for you through Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for your sin. He shed his blood to forgive you and give you eternal life. And he will give you his righteous standing so that when you stand before God, God will not see your sin. He will only see the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's his loving kindness. Dear friends, maybe you've been living in bitterness and feeling God has afflicted you. Let God change your heart as he's changed Naomi's and see the loving kindness of the Lord. Give us a call right now at 929-333-3739. And you'll get blessed if you do that. 
I think Satan is always really good when everything goes wrong to whisper to us, God doesn't love us, God mm-hmm. doesn't care. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I think the ultimate example of God's love and care is what he did for us on the cross. And I would say, you know how much God loves you, and I just extend both yeah. arms all the way out, which is how Jesus was crucified on the cross. Mm-hmm. That's how much he loves us. And so many people believe in Easter. We believe that God loved us enough to die on the cross for us. But then when we go through a difficult time in our life, the first thing Satan tells us is God doesn't love us. He doesn't care. And that's why I think we have to remember the cross and go back. No, he already proved how much he loved us. He loved us more than anyone. He gave his life for us. The question should never be, does God love me? He does love me. Mm -hmm. He proved that on the cross. But Satan wants me to doubt it because I have a bad circumstance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, another transition we see here, or another way of putting it maybe, is that Naomi's... Uh, her perspective goes from an earthly perspective. She's looking mm-hmm. at everything from exactly what's in front of her face to a heavenly perspective. I agree. And I think sometimes you need somebody else to come into your situation to kind of enlighten you in that. And she yeah. needed Ruth to come into the situation. And again, that goes back to the idea of just surrounding yourself with brothers and sisters in Christ. I was talking to my sister this morning and she just said, you know, sometimes you need somebody who's outside the situation to just give you advice because right. when you're in it and yeah. you're just caught up in the emotions, you can't see it. So that's one reason why we do this radio program is to be a voice into your situation. And you know, I love what Naomi said there as well in chapter 2, verse 20. In this verse, we're talking, blessed be the Lord who hath not left off his kindness. But then she says, the man is near of kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. Mm. And that's Jesus for us. Yeah. So dear mm-hmm. friend, you know, Jesus Christ came to earth in human flesh to be near of kin to us, you know. He was of the same flesh we have in that sense. His, his, he was without sin, but he took on the likeness of sinful flesh. And he was fully and completely man. And so he's near of kin to us, right, in that sense. It's it, Jesus. And so he's not far away, dear friends. You can call on him, and he will hear you, and he will answer your prayers. Okay, so in, in chapter 3, <laughs> uh, we're going to just do another flyover here, but, yeah. but Naomi said, my daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee? In other words, I'll, I'm seeking a husband for you now. <laughs> Naomi's a full bore. She got. I, I'm going to get this guy to marry you. Here's here's how we're going to work this one out. <laughs> so, how does Ruth show reverence and virtue, and yet risk, if you will, mm-hmm. making known her desire to Boaz that he redeem her? That's really what chapter three is about, I think. Yeah, and you know, once Naomi had received this infusion of hope, her whole outlook changes, her personality even changes in chapter two, and she quickly takes up this mantle of Jewish matchmaker, <laughs> and she comes up with a plan for her daughter-in-law, Ruth, to basically ask Boaz to marry her based on the God-ordained Jewish practice of men marrying the widows of their dead relatives to continue that family line. And, uh, you know, the law of God laid that out as a beautiful way so that somebody could be protected within a community. And at the culmination of the harvest, the climax of the story, in fact, Ruth takes a big risk. She comes to the threshing floor of Boaz in the dark of night, asking him to redeem her as that near kinsman. And not only is Ruth acting in obedience to her mother-in-law, but Boaz tells her that she is also showing kindness to him. Remember, Boaz was not the obvious choice for Ruth. He was an older man, 
but he had obviously, and, and I agree with Dr. Jim here, that he had obviously fallen in love with her when he first laid eyes on her and heard her story, so he was really thrilled with this proposal. So do you think Boaz felt he was marrying up when he saw Ruth? I think yeah. so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's like, wow, I, I could never get a girl like that. That's the way I felt when I saw Debbie, I'm telling you. When I saw Debbie, she was like, oh, I was smitten, you know. And uh, so, praise God, sometimes we get God, blessed of the Lord in this life. So, do you think it was a risk for for Ruth to do that, Dr. I d- Jim? I do, because yeah. I, I he could have said no. He was proposing to her. She, she, she was proposing to him. Correct. I think she That's very forward. If right. you think about that in that culture, I mean, it would be forward for a woman to propose to a man in our culture. Right. And how much more in this culture? And that's why it happens in the middle of the night. You know, their plan is sleep on his feet, he wakes up in the middle of the night and he basically says, "Who who is this?" Mm. It's so it's very dark. Mhm. And she's like, hi, my name is Ruth. I like you a lot. And uh, he's like, good plan. But I think it happened in the middle of the night because of the risk of her getting turned down. But obviously, God was working behind the scenes. But as I read this verse where where he said, blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, thou hast shown more kindness in the latter and that at the beginning. You're not just going after that. You don't want the young men to marry you. So that's where we understand Boaz was older, right? Mm-hmm. But the, the idea there, what I what I read from that is, he's saying you show kindness to Naomi, but hot dog, you're showing even more <laughs> kindness to me. Woo-hoo! Exactly. I mean, he was he was hollering, you know. He was saying, "Whoopee, this is going to be great." So I think he was whispering. Oh, he didn't okay. want anyone to find out. <laughs> That's how he felt on the inside. That was his inside voice. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Boaz respected the law of God in a time when many people didn't. And that's another thing, you know, to me about this book is that even when you're, li- you're living in a culture of spiritual anarchy and chaos, which I think we are, frankly, mm-hmm. it doesn't give us an excuse to, to, um, or to make excuse to be disobedient to mm-hmm. the Lord. We can obey God and walk in the Spirit of God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Uh, one of our deacons, Ashok, who you mentioned, he did a study on the story of Ruth at the same time, the story of Samson. And he said that they were about the same time during during Judges, and they actually lived just miles apart. Yeah. So you see the, the contrast here, how Boaz acts in the way that God ordained and how Samson did not when he went after the Gentile women. There you go. Good. Excellent. Okay, so Dr. Jim, what as we now just do a flyover of chapter 4, and it's a, it's a shorter, uh, uh, well, it's, well the, in chapter 4, and then it finishes with the lineage of, of, of Ruth and, and her, her, her children. What is the significance of the lineage at the conclusion of the book of Ruth? Well, I think this is why God put the book of Ruth in the Bible, is uh, when you read the genealogies at the end of the chapter, uh, he says, these are the generations of Perez. Perez begot Hezron, Hezron begot Ram, Ram begot Aminadab, Aminadab begot Nashon, Nashon begot Solomon, Solomon begot Boaz, Boaz begot Obed, Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David. That's how the book ends. But you have to say, which David is this? Well, this is King David who's going to be in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And again, I don't know how this went down, but I have to think Naomi in heaven, if this is rolling out and it gets to Mary and Joseph, and then it's, they're going to be the parents. I just think Naomi's got, you got to be kidding me. I'm in the lineage of the savior of the world. Incredible. And, and what an amazing plan. And I think that's when it really fully dawned on Naomi. It wasn't just about Ruth getting married and them being taken care of. 
there was a bigger plan, mm-hmm. and the bigger plan was the Savior of the world. Yeah. And I and I think as she saw that, and again, so often we'll never know all that our life is accomplishing and all that God's doing until we get to heaven. And I think that's why it's so important to be faithful, because only when that's you right. get to heaven will you find well, you out know. all that happened because you made a right choice. It's incredible that David is the last word of the book yes. of Ruth. Mm-hmm. And really, the Old Testament tells us why we need a Savior and how the Savior came into the world. Mm-hmm. And right there is a key reason why this book is in the Bible, because this is part of the lineage of Jesus. Yeah, and as Dr. Jim read that genealogy, if you flip over to the very first words of the New Testament in Matthew chapter 1, yeah. it, it echoes that same genealogy. It goes further back and further forward up to Jesus Christ. But one thing that's so amazing is our heroine Ruth is included with just four other women in that genealogy, Tamar, Rahab, Bathsheba, and Mary. And it's just amazing that other than Jesus' mother, who of course had to be Jewish, every other woman listed in the, gen- in, in the genealogy is a Gentile bride. And it obviously points to the fact that Jesus, too, will take a Gentile bride, the church. And as well, where it says in Ruth chapter 4 and verse 21, Salmon begat Boaz. And in Matthew's genealogy, it says, Salmon begat Boaz of, of Ruth. Mm. I'm sorry, of Rahab. Of Rahab. Of Rahab. Yeah, Rahab yeah. So in other words, uh, and we, we just talked about this briefly before the program, whether Rahab was the direct mother of Boaz, or maybe she was a grandmother. It's, it's hard to say a thousand percent sure. Mm-hmm. But uh, Rahab was a close relative in the line mm-hmm. of Boaz, mm-hmm. and so she had been a, a, a harlot of Jericho. Mm-hmm. So wouldn't it have, it would have made him more open-hearted to a Moabite woman, mm-hmm. you know, Ruth, to marry her and to yeah. redeem her. Yeah. So amazing. God is gracious. So, Dr. Jim, as we close it up tonight, what are some other examples in the Bible that, humanly speaking, the people of God couldn't figure out the plan of God when they were right in the middle of it. God was hard to track, but they still trusted him. Oh, boy. I, you can't miss Joseph. I mean, Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers. I mean, talk about feeling rejected. In the Potiphar's home, he's framed. He's thrown in prison. He tells two guys a dream, and he says, when you get out of here, get me out of here, yeah. which tells you he didn't want to be there. And the guy forgets about him. And then Pharaoh says, I have a dream. I need someone to explain it. And he's like, oh, my word, there's a guy in prison. He's really good with dreams. I forgot about him. And he brings him out, and uh, he tells the story. And Pharaoh says, well, there's no one more wise than you. Who starves to death if Joseph isn't second in command? Mm -hmm. It's the nation of Israel. They run out of food. They go get help. And the last thing, when his brothers find out that he's in charge, his brothers come to him and say, hey, Dad just died. And we just read the will, don't kill us. Mm. And Joseph says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Amen. And I think a lot of things in our life happen that way. That's right. Micah? Yeah, Romans 8:28 sums up yeah. the book of Ruth, the story of Joseph. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. You know, and in the end of the book of Job, after all his sufferings, Job learns that he, could have, he needed to get to know God better through his trials. And so the deeper we are often driven into suffering, the nearer we can come to Jesus Christ. So dear friends, draw near to Christ and he will draw nigh to you and you will see that God is good. Thank you, Dr. Jim. Thank you, Michael, for being here tonight. Privilege.
Thank you for tuning in to the Heritage of Faith Conversations radio program. To find out more about Heritage Baptist Church and our service times and locations, visit our website at hbcnyc.org. We stream multiple services online each week, including 11 a.m. Sunday mornings and 7.15 p.m. Wednesday nights. All are welcome, and you can find links to participate in our services on our website, hbcnyc.org. And join us again next Sunday at 6 p.m. for another Heritage